0: I don't think the game's
1: over. Not done. We don't want to give up. I don't think the game's over. Until... Not done until the clock says zero. We don't want to give up until the clock says zero. I
0: don't think the game's over. Purple until... zero on the clock. Purple on the clock. Purple on the clock.
1: what's up guys welcome into to triple zeros i'm your host josh Buckhalter. We, this is episode two um still got a lot of stuff going on still trying to get everything looking nice and pretty but can't stop that can't let that stop bringing you some great content so uh we're gonna got a lot to talk about today like i said we're going to talk about week five in the nfl some of the storylines there the nba had a couple of top 50 lists come out this week that had so a lot of people questioning whether or not everything was on the up and up but the big event going on tonight aside from college football which is actually on the monitor right now uh watching the usc and washington huskies game just went to halftime the big event going on tonight is the errol spence jr and the sean porter fight and if you don't know let me tell you real quick little quick background this is not my my, i'm not gonna act like i'm the most well versed which is why i have the guest i have coming on right now but uh errol spence and sean errol spence jr Sean Porter going to be fighting tonight at the welterweight division, both coming in 147 in a unification uh, belt bout, excuse me. Spence Jr. is the IBF champion. Uh, Sean Porter is the WBC champion. Spence Jr. comes in at 25-0 with 21 knockouts, and Porter is 32-1 with 17 KOs. And joining me right now to talk about what we can expect tonight in this fight is Tony Tilo Lopez, host of the Parlay. And uh, Tony, first and foremost, man, thank you for joining me. Glad you could be here. What do we got in store for us tonight, man?
0: Well, first, thanks for uh, letting me come in. I don't know if you guys can hear me well. I'm in a dark room here, but I uh, <laughs> uh, appreciate you uh, having me on the show. Um, man, tonight, it's going to be um, – how would I put this? It's going to be lunch oh, – no, dinner. You got your what, – what, how, how do we do this? Let's do this in order. You get the appetizers first, <laughs> then you get your meal, and then you get dessert, and then you can have a shot at the end. It's going to be a perfect night for boxing fans. They're about to see somebody who is stri- strategically, technically sound. And arrow Spence about to see somebody who's aggressive, gritty, do- does the dirty work. And uh, Sean Porter. And it is a recipe for beauty, success. And it's going to be an action-packed fight. Uh, two different type of boxers, arrow being that technical boxer and Sean being that, um, you know, pretty much go-getter. He kind of fights sloppy and hard. Um, but you know, a lot of people want to um, put Errol Spence on this pedestal, which he should be because of his skill and he's undefeated, but all people always forget that with Sean Porter, he has fought more elite fighters, and not only that, he's been in every fight. He has not lost decisively. So he's, no, he's not a pushover is what I'm saying.
1: One of the things that uh, was being brought up is that in, in Porter's last fight against Ugas, he kind of switched up his style a little bit and did a little bit less of that brawling style you were talking about and tried to box him a little bit more. And some felt like that cost him from getting a decisive victory. And what, he ended up winning, but it was a split decision. Do you think that we could see that again tonight as he tries to make it more of a boxing match and doesn't try to uh, let Errol Spence Jr. just wear him out by Porter going in there kind of reckless?
0: Well, you know, JB, if you have a, a six-foot uh, welterweight in front of you, you definitely gonna have to change your style or, or do something more strategic. Um, but you know, in that fight, you know, Sean had to change his style. He had to do something different. You can't, you can't be who you are and fight a taller, fighter. You have to do, you know, you have to go around the uh, around the bushes, in this sense, and try to pick him, pick him apart. So, with that, with that said, I don't think you should really bring that over into this fight because Errol's gonna be a person who he's gonna have to be, he's gonna have to be the aggressor um so I I think styles make fights in this case you know Sean's gonna switch it up a bit but I'm not gonna say it's gonna be a detriment to him he's gonna make this a really close fight
1: yeah that it's it's really interesting when you look at it because uh their careers are in different places right now as you said Errol Spence is the guy who guys everybody's trying to put him up there um not necessarily ahead of time but it's still a little bit early to see it because he doesn't have quite the resume of a Sean Porter in terms of the elite fighters but the the tail of the tape shows that the size, the youth, and the skill all go to Spence Jr. What does Porter have to do to come out with the W? You know, Porter's gonna have to do what he what he's been doing to get here.
0: You know, he's gonna have to be his style. Of, uh, he's gonna have to be um, his style. He's gonna have to be dirty. He's gonna have to be aggressive. I think that's the only way he wins a, a draw or decision, which obviously I don't think will happen. But he's got to stay in the fight by being who he's been. If he's tried, if he tries to be a boxer, pick. Pick uh, Errol apart. It's not going to happen. He's going to be on the losing end of that battle. Stick to your style, and that'll get you, hopefully, a win tonight.
1: And then you had Errol Spence Jr. doing a lot of talking about uh, he's going to be the first person to stop Sean Porter, meaning he's going to knock him out. Now, we know uh, Spence Jr. rose to prominence a little bit because he uh, touched up Floyd Mayweather in sparring back in 2013, and... Uh, Porter Jr. kind of takes a or Porter Jr. Porter takes a little bit of offense of that saying that you know he's never been knocked out even his losses no one's knocked him out. Do you see a, a outcome here where Arrow Spence actually knocks out Sean Porter?
0: No, I don't. I don't see that at all. Um, I think Sean Porter first of all has never been knocked down, so um, that's something in his favor. And the other thing is, you know, Sean is too. He, he's too. I, I hate to use the word in the words in shape, but he's too in shape and too tech. Um, and too I'm sorry, too experienced to have to have him, you know, come down at some point in this fight. I think that he holds his own. I think Arrow's a strong puncher. I mean he is, you know, he's he's heavier obviously, uh, naturally than Sean. Um but I think Sean is, you know, he has to just stay to what he's doing. And um if he does that, he'll be fine. There's no way Arrow knocks him down. I think he's, I think he stays up to all twelve rounds if it goes to him.
1: Now you are the host of the parlay. I watched a video earlier from your co-host, Kendall Gill, and he said the same thing along the lines of uh, no matter what happens, it seems like this fight is Errol Spence's to lose. Tell me how long this fight goes and how it actually ends. Is it a decision or is it is it uh, an upset? Yeah, no,
0: I, you know, I'm, it's funny because my rooting uh, sides have changed and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going for Porter now just because he's the underdog mm-hmm. and, you know, people don't think he can do it. Um, I love the underdog story, but when I'm looking at the fight itself, I'm looking at Errol Spence winning by decision. I I see the fight averaging 115, 113, or 116, 112 in that area just because he outboxes Sean Porter and he outworks Porter. As much as Porter can be aggressive, you guys got to remember, Errol Spence is throwing 70 to almost 90 punches a round, um, and that's on a consistent basis. So my prediction is Errol by decision.
1: Everybody that you guys at the Parlay will be doing a post-fight. Can tell everybody where they can find that at, uh, after the fight.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely visit uh, par- the sorry, visit ParlayShow.com or visit us on social media. Just look up the Parlay, T-A-T space, P-A-R-L-E-Y, the Parlay with Kendall Gill and
1: Tilo, man, I want to thank you very much for joining me and talking about this fight. Enlightening me and enlightening fans. We'll talk to you again, hopefully, after the fight sometime and uh, get you back on.
0: Sounds good. We'll talk. Appreciate it.
1: All right, guys, we're going to come right back in a few seconds here. We got to take a little bit of a break, but uh, we'll be right back with a little bit more. Alright guys, we are back and now we're gonna switch gears a little bit to week five NFL preview. Got a lot to, to cover, a lot of a lot of good games on, not a lot of great games. It wasn't too many uh too many marquee matchups, but there are some interesting ones. We have a divisional matchup between the undefeated Bills and the Patriots. Now, the Patriots have gone through a lot of changes so far early in this season. They went and uh out on the limb and tried to sign Antonio Brown. We see how that's turning out right now. Antonio Brown's dealing with a lot of uh, legal issues. He ended up getting cut. He's now trying to get nine million dollars in a signing bonus from the Patriots while enrolled in Central Michigan University to complete his degree. He's also decided to go on a uh, training tour of sorts where he's going to be practicing at high school fields throughout the country. We'll see how that works out and how long it lasts. Uh, but one of the things that I think is is key here. Is the Patriots, like I said, are going through a lot of changes. Now they are the masters of being multiple on offense and uh giving you different looks on defense, but specifically on offense where you can't really peg them down. If you want to try to take away something that they do well, they're gonna come right back and do something that they do really uh bad, really well against you that you're just not prepared for. They can do whatever. We've seen them morph their offense from uh, uh run heavy wide receiver base to the tight end sets back to the wide receivers. Finally, through the runbacks backs again it could change any given week and it does change every week depending on the matchup that's what they do but what the change can bring now is it simplifies it a little bit for the buffalo defense that's actually a lot better than people i think are giving them credit for we'll see if it if it can actually matric- or materialize into a win form new england is currently a seven point favorite favorite we'll see how that plays out but like I said, it's a lot of a lot of changes. It's it's almost one of those death by a thousand cut situations. Julian Elliman is dealing with uh, a chest injury right now, but with everything that the Patriots throw at you, the Bills still have a tough choice, a tough test ahead of them. We've seen some feet, like I said, three and zero start is more fact than it is fiction. Everything seems to be a little fool's go at this point, but now it seems to be like uh has not necessarily taken a big great lengths to become a better passer, but he has made progress and he's been uh, always a threat with his legs. Tom Brady and the Patriots, so like I said, it's going to be tough for them to to actually pull one out because the Patriots adjust on the fly better than anybody, and they had to have known that there was a possibility that they could be without Antonio Brown. So I'm not really sure that. Uh, the the changes that they're going through, or something that they're going through now, they might have already gone through them. But like I said, if the Bills are going to take them down, this is probably their best chance. We also have another undefeated matchup, a little bit of a twist on this one though, with the Chiefs taking on the Lions in Detroit. Uh, the the Chiefs come in three and zero. The Detroit is two zero and one. Remember they tied with the Cardinals. That game could actually be a lot better than people might be anticipating. I do anticipate the Chiefs to become four and zero, and the Lions to take their first loss. Um, but I think it'll be a little bit better because Matt. Stafford has that gunslinger mentality. A lot of the times, excuse me, early in his career, that was to his detriment. Um, We saw him be a little bit reckless with the ball. They've never really had a great defense behind him. It's been okay at times, and it seems to be getting better this year. But he's also a a player that you know for that gunslinger, Brett Favre-esque mentality where he's going to try to chuck it. And they've ridden his right arm through a lot of battles. This is going to be one where they're going to need him. Um, The Kansas City Chiefs come in as another seven-point favorite. Patrick Mahomes has thrown 10 touchdowns, no picks. Um, they've got Sean McCoy, who's char- put up 158 rushing yards so far this season after everybody thought he was dead from after being cut in Buffalo, no less. This is going to be a shootout. Two defenses that are kind of just in the way more than they are holding anybody back. So in the end, I think it's going to come down to the more talented offense. And while I do like Detroit and what they are doing I still think they're going to end up being fourth in division when it's all said and in their division when it's all said and done. And I also just don't think that they have enough to keep up with the Kansas City Chiefs and that multiple 4-3 burners paced offense. Everybody in that offense runs 4-3 or below and there's just so much that you can do. There's only so much you can do with that much speed and the, with the two backs that they have there um we'll see if they're if Damian Williams can suit up or if Dale Williams have to pick up the slack for him there. But LaShawn McCoy seems to be proving a lot of people wrong who said that he didn't have anything left in the tank. Um, jumping back real quick to the Thursday night matchup, the Eagles took on the Green Bay Packers and left out of Lambo with a 34 to 27 victory. That game was interesting because it was one where the Packers came in thinking that they had found themselves a brand new, shiny Maserati of a defense. They had tortured the Bears in week one. They did things to Kirk Cousins in week two. And then they came out in week three, and it seemed okay to begin with, but things kind of fell flat towards the end there. Um, They held the Eagles scores in the first quarter, but in the second quarter, the Eagles scored 21 points. Green Bay was seven points in the first and then 13. In the end, Uh, like I said, it was a 37, 34 to 27 victory for the Eagles, but Carson Wentz for the Eagles only had to complete 27 passes, or only attempt 27 passes, completed 16, excuse me for 160 yards and three touchdowns. His counterpart, Aaron Rodgers, had the much better day, 34 for 53, 64% completion, 42, 422 yards, two touchdowns and one pick, but the game losing pick. And see, what's interesting about that is at the end of that game, Green Bay had the ball at the one yard line, first down. And they proceeded to throw the ball three straight times, four straight times, excuse me four straight times and turned it over on downs. The the thing about facing Philly, Green Bay struggled to get their running game going all night, right? It was uh, from jump. Aaron Jones finished the night with 13 carries, 21 yards. They lost Jamal Williams early on to a concussion on, a, I'd hate to say it, but it's a pretty dirty play by Andrew Sandejo of the Philadelphia Eagles. Sandejo, either Sandejo or Jack, Zach Brown. Both of them had multiple questionable plays uh, on Thursday but they lost their their they lost Williams early and Aaron Jones had to pick up the slack and it just wasn't happening. Philly was given no ground even though Jones did cross the goal line for a touchdown. That being said, From the one-yard line, first to have there's no way that you should pass four times with the game on the line. You have to at least attempt to make a run. Quarterback sneak even. They didn't even attempt that, and that's what's really concerning, and that takes it back to in the preseason when everybody was worried about Green Bay Packers having a win-now quarterback situation, but basically a rebuilding year everywhere else. Now, the defense seemed to have come together a little bit quicker than they anticipated, and maybe it's not as great as everybody thought, but they definitely have some pieces there with Amos – Uh, And Savage in the in the secondary, and you got the Smith brothers on the outside, and even Rashawn Gary, who's been making some noise lately. But the big problem for Green Bay was Philadelphia's running game. They gave Jordan Howard 15 carries. He had 87 yards and two touchdowns. He also caught four passes, uh, caught three passes on four targets for 28 yards and another score, something he never did in Chicago. Um, But they also gave Miles Sanders 11 carries for 72 yards. So. Green Bay got gashed 26 carries for 159 yards. That's not going to get it done. They're going to have to be able to stop down, shut down the run better than that if they, if they have any chance of holding the lead. We've seen this for, from them throughout the season where they've kind of struggled as the game has gone on to maintain any explosiveness and that defensive cohesion breaks down the longer that they're on the field, something that being from Chicago and, and following the Bears, I'm well aware of. Um, You can have the greatest defense in the world, but if your offense can't sustain drives, it's not going to matter much. Um, Green Bay, like I said, scores seven points in the first, 13 in the second, so 20 points in the first half, but then only seven the rest of the way. Now, you could say the Eagles locked up uh, on the outside because Devontae Adams was giving giving them some go. Devontae Adams finished with 10 catches, 180 yards. He also ended up going out with a turf toe injury, and that could have played a big factor in why Green Bay struggled late in the game trying to convert. Uh, in the red zone, but that's no excuse. Like I said, you have to run that ball at the one yard line. Um, but before even the, before Devontae had gone out, Green Bay had struggled to make anything happen. And you just wonder if it's almost like the correction to the mean happened. They got hit by that, right? Everything went up and uh, it was it was playing out how they had all hoped, but we kind of see this every year where the first couple of weeks give you a little bit of a shakeup from what you thought and you get kind of smacked. It's like, oh, uh, this could be the reality and not necessarily how we anticipated that they could be are better than you thought. Um, you take Lamar Jackson's performance the first couple of weeks. Um, everybody expected him to take a, te- a step forward, perhaps not as much as he did. And then they face the Chiefs, and he looks a little closer to what we saw from him last year, maybe more towards the end of last year when he made some progress, but still not the world beater that we saw from the first couple of weeks when he played those weaker teams. Now, that applies to Green Bay's defense where they caught Chicago in week one where clearly Chicago's offense was not ready to, uh, for week one. And then they faced uh Denver Broncos' offense that is also not – in a place where they will be when they get all their pieces. And this is Vic Fangio's first year. Uh, Joe Flacco is a limited quarterback. They are limited in their, in their scheme and in their weapons. So green Bay had a little bit easier tests. And then against uh, Kirk cousins, we saw them do some more. But that was because they got the Kirk cousins and we'll get to him a little bit in a second, but we're kind of seeing the correction course correction, if you will, from a lot of teams, uh, except for the Atlanta Falcons. They take on the Tennessee Titans, and the Falcons are at 1-2 right now, and they need a victory. Yeah, that was a smooth transition, I know. Um, this team, to me, Matt Ryan right now has eight touchdowns and six picks. This team, to me, is one of those where, as good as they are, I feel like their Super Bowl run was that lightning in the bottle year, and they probably won't get back there with this current group. Devontae Freeman, 35 carries and 129 yards on the season. He's not getting it done. Their ground game has struggled. Julio Jones is always a monster and a threat to take any pass to the house and score on any defense, but he's also a guy who can go MIA for games. Um, but something about Atlanta is just – it's just felt like they're off. They, they just haven't been able to, to find that peak, and they haven't settled in a valley. Like I said, they they – are one of the most high and low teams I've ever have ever seen and it'll be interesting to see how they correct course if they can correct course going against a Titans team that's might be uh in the hunt in the market for a new quarterback after this season. We'll see how Rhode has struggled and the offense as a whole has struggled. So we'll see how they how they do. Uh another interesting game will be the Los Angeles Chargers taking on the Miami Dolphins or the the ghost, the shell of the Miami Dolphins, and not so much because of the action on the field, but so much as the peep, the person L on the field. Uh, Melvin Gordon is slated to return. He will get some take according to his head coach, probably only a limited number of carries, but it is good to see him back in uniform. And as I predicted last week, a loss tends to speed up these kind of things. Now it was reported he would be gone for about six to eight weeks or something like that. So he could still accrue his season towards free agency, but he was not going to be caving until he got a new deal. I mean, things happen, right? You got to get in where you fit in. And right now the Chargers, like I said, could need him. That's not a knock on Austin Eckler. That's just to say that Melvin Gordon is is the kind of back that can help them wear down a defense late and uh, grind out a grind the clock out, especially right now at a time when their defense is really banged up and having trouble slowing anybody down. They need to be able to control the ball and control the clock. Moving on down the list, man, the Redskins take on the Giants. Daniel Jones gets his second start after lighting up the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in an 18-point come-from-behind victory, and the Washington Redskins try to avoid going on 4 after their failures on Monday Night Football against the Chicago Bears. This game... If I'm the Washington Redskins and I'm looking for a game where a soft landing spot for a rookie Dwayne Haskins, this is the game. This is when you put him in there and you try to see what he can do. The Giants defense hasn't been able to stop me from passing for 300 yards this year. So if you're going to try it, this is probably the best one. I'm not sure they'll have a better chance uh, at any point in time going forward. Um, Saquon Barkley will be out for about two months, however, with an ankle sprain. Uh, That's unfortunate. So Daniel Jones will have to prove that – that last week wasn't a fluke and that he probably won't score and have as much of an output as he did against the Buccaneers every week, but he needs to show that he can do, he can uh, be a quarterback the offense can rely on as opposed to a hindrance. It's going to be interesting. Saquon Barkley opens up a lot of things for everybody around him, which is saying a lot considering how little that the Giants have done, but we're going to see a lot more concerted effort against him and on his fill-in Wayne Gallman. Uh, for the next two months. Hopefully Saquon gets has a speedy recovery and is back soon. Um, The Cleveland Browns will be taken on the Baltimore Ravens. That was interesting because uh the Baltimore, the Cleveland Browns have not necessarily been a team that has lived up to expectations. They had a lot of hype coming in to the season signing old Dell be- or trading for Odell Beckham jr. Um, we know that they already have Baker Mayfield there and Nick Chubb so they have a very talented offense they have a talented defense as well but they're not necessarily doing uh everything they can Miles Garrett is having troubles with penalties right now but the biggest thing that i think is going to be them having that target on their back all of that preseason hype inevitably leads to every team wanting to show you that you're not what they say you are you can ask any team that's been hyped in preseason before. Ask the Bears how they feel about uh, how they felt after losing the opener and all the hype that they, all the pressure that they put on themselves for it being a big game, and how they preserve their bodies in the preseason just for that game and for it to not matter much. So that'll be good. And this is also a chance for Lamar to get back on on track at home in front of a defense like I said that's been heavily penalized. Uh, he had a little bit of a down game last week, but he still hasn't thrown a pick at him. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, it's a, it's a little bit of a race right now to see who's going to throw the first interception. But this is a defense that I think Lamar can complete some passes on uh, and look, get back into the good graces of everybody who had been kind of stunned at his outburst to start the season. The Panthers take on the Texans. Kyle Allen gets his second start in place of an in injured Cam Newton. And, I'm, I'm, I'm Carolina's in a funky place to me. They, they wanted to have this year be a bounce back season for the team, for Cam Newton, especially he ended up getting hurt. Um And according to him, it sounds as though the Panthers downplayed his injury and threw him back out there in the preseason. That's what bothers me. Now i I'm a fan of Cam Newton. I know that's not, he's not everybody's uh, type of quarterback. We'll just leave it at that. But I'm a fan and I've always stood that Carolina has not done enough to protect him. And that's not necessarily just saying his weapons, although I thought his weapons have also lacked a lot. The best receiver he's had over the past couple of years has been the Calvin Benjamins and the Devin Funchess of the world. But their offensive line has never been among the best. And when you have a team that's built so heavily around the quarterback skill set, you would think that you would want to protect him. They have not done so, and every time they do so, it's patchwork or guys that are uh have high draft pedigree but have not necessarily lived up to the expectations. So now that to see them shift their focus a little bit to Kyle Allen and see the success that he had, I hope that he can continue to have success. But I do hope that if Cam doesn't come back here and can get uh come back to Carolina and, and get back to the his MVP or close to his MVP ways, that he can continue to have a good career. And I hope this is not another situation like Andrew Luck where injuries uh, that have been downplayed over the years have taken a toll to the point where he's just ready to hang it up. I don't get that sense yet, but didn't get that sense with Andrew Luck either, and we saw how that played out. So that'll be one to keep an eye on. The Houston Texans are – they're winning. They're winning, and they're just tr- – they're two and 2-1 right now as they're just trying to piece together some things – Um it's never pretty with them. It seems like they're always in a dogfight to get things going. Deshaun Watson has thrown six touchdowns and one interception. Carlos Hyde has shown some life. He's got 40 carries, 492 yards, and a touchdown. It hasn't been all uh, speed burst, but he's been reliable for them in being able to grind out yards and move the chains. And, of course, DeAndre Hopkins, 218 yards in the season, two touchdowns. Um, but the Texans got that last that victory last week over the Chargers, and they won against the Jaguars. They're on a two-game winning streak right after starting – the season on a loss against the Saints. You just wonder what's the Texan ceiling. We know that they have Deshaun Watson, they have troubles protecting him, and they can have issues running the ball at times. And beyond DeAndre Hopkins, can they count on either Will Fuller or Kenny Stills? We've seen Kenny Stills kind of take on that deep threat role as Will Fuller's kind of taking on a possession guy. Let's get uh, some yards out of this, and he could take the, the short play a long distance kind of a threat. But what is their ceiling? Are they a playoff team? Are they a, a playoff team who can make a deep run, or are they the team who gets there and gets taken out immediately? That's something to keep an eye on going forward. I don't know how uh, how how much better they've gotten from last year, so we'll see what the ultimate payoff is for them. They do have J.J. Watt, although that can only get you so far, and we have to see how long his body will hold up. Uh the next game that was that's up on the docket, uh Buccaneers and Rams, 3-0 Bucks taking on the one and two uh the excuse me, the one and two Bucks taking on the 3-0 Rams in Los Angeles. That's the Rams. We're just gonna keep that at that. They found a little something until they let Daniel Jones come back on them from 18 points down and get a victory in his first NFL start. Jameis Winston started off the game hot. Uh the Buccaneers, in fact, The Buccaneers just – like I said, the Buccaneers let the, the Giants come back from 18 points down, and it's just disappointing to see that team uh, with Bruce Aarons at the helm go through the similar struggles to what they were having last year where they can score points on people, but they just can't stop anybody. And you have to wonder, with Jameis Winston, like Marcus Mariota, uh, if the Buccaneers will soon be in the market for another quarterback. The Rams are the Rams. They're 3-0, bound for the playoffs once again. They have Todd Gurley, who seems to be putting to rest some of those fears about the health of his knee. We'll see how he holds up. But at 3-0, facing a Buccaneers team that can't stop a runny nose, looks like the Rams will come out of this one 4-0. Cooper Cup also has had a healthy return. It's good to see him back after his ACL injury last year. The Seattle Seahawks at 2-1 will head to Arizona to take on the 0-2-1 Arizona Cardinals and the rookie Kyler Murray. Murray's had a bit of a rocky start this season. Um, he's got 830 yards, four touchdowns, three interceptions. It's been slow starting, fast finishes as de- uh, defenses have let up a little bit. It's not surprising that he struggled as he has because not because of his height, but because of the personnel around him. Um, it's brought up all the time on the Marshall uh, by Shannon Sharp, how Murray went from the best offensive line in college to the worst one in the NFL. Um I'm sure Miami fans will have something to argue about that. But the the Cardinals line is not great. And aside from Carl, Kyler Murray, the offense did not do much to improve it. So they got a couple of rookie receivers, but in terms of immediate improvements, there was not much done there. You're kind of relying on guys like uh, David Johnson and Christian Kirk to take that next step and there for Gerald to still have some of the magic, the ability that he had uh, in his young younger years. On the Seattle side, Russell Wilson, seven touchdowns. He's another member of the No Interception Club, 901 yards. Chris Carson is their leading rusher with 158 yards and a touchdown. But he's had fumble issues of late. And if Rashard Penny is healthy, you could see him take over the workload a little bit. Soon, that's be something to monitor going forward, especially for people like me who have him on it, on their fantasy team. I know nobody cares. I'm still going to mention it because, dang man, seeing him put the ball on the carpet and then watching him stand on the sidelines during some critical moments was uh, kind of hurtful. They do seem to go back to him, and Pete Carroll is a guy who will give players multiple chances to make up for it. Um, But that's one that we'll have to keep an eye on. The next game is the Vikings and the Bears. Now, this one is interesting because the Packers' lost, and um, with the, the Lions going up against the Chiefs, there is a chance for the Chicago Bears, who ended up started the season in the basement, to jump up into second place in the division. Minnesota's going to be doing everything that they can to avoid that, especially after last season when the Bears swept them both times. Now, the first game that they played, Minnesota ended up hurting Mitchell Trubisky and he ended up missing the next two games, which the Bears went one and one in. But he came back, and the Bears won the second game handily. Um, what I'm looking for in this one is protection from the offensive lines, both sides. Both of these quarterbacks are ones who need the running game to build their success, and they need the, the quarter. They need the offensive coordinators to call plays for them to get them into a rhythm so that they can be successful later on in the game. They need confidence. They need that boost to see completions being made and guys making plays. That means that we'll have Dalvin Cook, the league's leading rusher, and rookie David Montgomery as the focal points. Both of these defenses will be keyed on that and will be trying to shut down the run. That means that when the offenses have to take to the air, these offensive lines are gonna have to be protecting because since the defenses are already trying to stop the run, there's gonna be guys shooting gaps and some run blitzes there that are end up that will end up turning into quarterbacks being chased and Both guys have a tendency to turn the ball over when they are hastened in their reads or if they're thinking a little bit too much. What I do think about this, though, is that it's going to affect Minnesota more so than uh, the Chicago Bears. For all of his struggles, Mitchell Trubisky seems to be able to deliver when it's go time. When the Bears have to have it, we saw it in the wild card game. He got them in a position. No, he did not get a touchdown. Yes, you'd like to see him finish drives but to get the team in a scoring position is a lot for a young quarterback in and of itself. We saw him do it there. We saw him do it uh, against Green Bay. He ultimately threw a pick there on a play that was just a bad throw when he had a lot of time to think about it, and he made the mistake. Kirk Cousins, on the other hand, is a guy who seems to get rattled and compound his own mistakes, either rushing into pressure or throwing the ball uh, haphazardly on the way down to avoid a sack, uh, grounding and things of that nature. And with his longer track record, It's not necessarily something that we feel like is, or that I feel like is yips or just him uh, settling in. That's kind of who he is. If the Bears defense can get to him, which I fully expect that they will be able to, at least a little bit, then Kirk is a good bet to give you one. Now, Mitch is two. And with that being the case, it's going to be incumbent on, again, these offensive coordinators to make sure that they are designing these game plans around their quarterbacks. Now, I mentioned Dalvin Cook is the league's leading rusher. But the Bears' run defense is number three in the league in terms of yards allowed, so they're not going to—they're uh, not going to be necessarily worried, or not let me not say worried. They're not going to be pushovers for Dalvin Cook to just gash like he's been doing for most of the season to most teams. That's not to say that he won't get his yards. We have seen the Bears struggle uh, late in games if they can't get off the field. If the offense is not putting up enough stats on their own, the defense has been known to. Give up a lot of stuff late, uh, late in contests. Now, the turnovers came back last week for the Bears against the Redskins and against the team. Like I said, against the team quarterback by Kirk Cousins, who can be flustered and forced into making mistakes. I think that that's something that the Bears are going to play on early to build up, build themselves up, take themselves to a, an early lead and give Mitch a little bit of breathing room. If they can do that, then I think the Bears will be able to take this, uh, extend this winning streak that they have over the Vikings right now to four games or excuse, excuse me to three games that being said excuse me and i apologize chicago is fifth in running yards against this season minnesota is 11th against the pass while uh chicago while they're 13th against the run that's why i think that the bears best bet again will be to take the ball out of mitch's some and run the ball more as they've been doing the past couple of games. Mitch needs play action more as well. That's something that I think has been woefully lacking from the offense. We see teams get into the habits, right? Matt Nagy says that he likes to self scout. He wants to self scout more than anybody. And I think one of the things that he might be looking or overlooking. in when he's self scouting is the, the lack of play action in this offense, Uh, Mr. Trubisky, for his career, is completing 70% of his play-action passes, 14 of 20, uh, with one touchdown and only no picks. Now, that's such a small sample size. 70% of his passes. One of the biggest things, the biggest knock against Mitchell Trubisky is his accuracy. If you can get him to complete 70% of his passes or more than the 63% that he's completing uh, any other time, I think he should have more than 20 play-action attempts in his career. That's not a good sign. So that's something that I think the Bears need to work on, and especially against the Minnesota Vikings defense that's going to be aggressive. If you can set, uh, set up that run game early to have a little bit of success early, when Mitch starts putting it into David Montgomery's gut and pulls it out, there's going to be wide open spaces. I also like how the Bears flipped the script and had uh, Taylor Gabriel seemingly operating as the primary read last week. They continued that and have Mitch be able to, start somewhere else and fall back to Allen Robinson later on down the line as a security blanket, they'll also have continued success. For the Minnesota Vikings, keep doing what you're doing. Dalvin Cook is a stud, and as long as he's healthy, I would ride him until the wheels fall off. That's a poor, poor analogy for a player who's dealt with the injuries that he has, but I stay stand by it because I think that Dalvin Cook is can legit be one of the top five backs in this league when healthy, when it's all said and done. But, again, health is a major factor. Another game uh, that's going to have lower scoring implications, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars heading to Denver to take on the Denver Broncos, who are still searching searching for their first win of the season. They might get it because Jacksonville will be without uh, Jalen Ramsey this week. But they have found, they might have found a diamond in the rough in their quarterback, Gardner Minshew. He's got 692 yards, five touchdowns, and one pick in relief duty for Nick Foles, who is uh, recovering from a torn, broken collarbone that he suffered uh, week one. You don't want your $88 million quarterback going down week one. They also found a diamond in the rough in uh, DJ Shark Jr. from last season. The seven year player is 277 yards, three touchdowns on the year. Denver is struggling. They are trying to find out who they are. They have two good running backs, but the passing game was lackluster. Joe Flacco is a mad quarterback. 773 yards on the season, two touchdowns, two picks. The defense just got their first sacks last year. Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb are two studs in the book ends, and of course Chris Harris is a is a beast at the corner, but they're a young team. They're a young defense. They uh are still learning I imagine that as soon as he's back healthy or as soon after he's back healthy, Drew Locke will be under center because at 0-3 and the possibility of being 0-4, there's not much that this team is playing for right now, despite wanting to have Locke be able to sit for the entire season to learn behind um, Joe Flacco. Then you have the Cowboys at 3-0 taking on the 2-1 New Orleans Saints. Now, New Orleans is supposed to be – I don't want to say DOA, but they're not supposed to be as feisty as they have been or as they were last week. Drew Brees went down with a thumb sprain, but new Orleans still was able to take on the Seattle Seahawks and get a 33 to 27 victory in Seattle. So I don't know if Dallas is coming to this one with a lot of confidence, but they, they, uh, they definitely have to be aware that this is not going to just be a pushover because Drew Brees is not there. Teddy Bridgewater proved to be capable. Um, but it's just one that, that's it's funny because this matchup in the preseason looked like, oh, man, we're going to get two compo- two contrasting styles, the grinded-out style of the Cowboys and the high-flying explosiveness of the Saints, and then you see the start of the season, you're like, oh, the Cowboys are chucking that thing. They're throwing the pill all around the, ro- all around the field, so maybe this won't be the boring or the slow-moving matchup that it seemed to be when it all began. And then Drew Brees goes down, he's like, oh no, you know, the Saints are doomed, and everything's gonna be all, all gloom and doom for them without their, their their fearless leader. Teddy Bridgewater comes in and handles himself well. He doesn't do great on set the world on fire, but he's played he played well in his, his first start in two years since he had that horrific, horrific knee injury he suffered in practice uh with the Minnesota Vikings. I just this is another one of those games where. It's not necessarily hard to to predict the Cowboys' victory, but you don't feel as confident because there is still some unknown with the New Orleans Saints and what they can do with Teddy Bridgewater at the helm. Everything else is still in place. Everything. Sean Payton is still there. Alvin Kamara is still there. Michael Thomas is still there. They still have the Marshawn Brooks and Eli Apple cornerback tandem. Still got Cam Jordan pushing the pocket. Um, they got uh. They got a lot going for them they just don't have Drew Brees for the time being but they've shown that that's not going to be a death knell for them and that they're going to fight and fight through it so what i'm trying to find out is can Dallas uh hold bridgewater who came in and completed 36 of his 57 attempts last week 57 attempts is probably more than Sean Payton wants Teddy Bridgewater attempting in games um 342 yards and two touchdowns now that press got on the season is 70 for 94 completion percentage, 920 yards, 9 touchdowns, and 2 picks. His favorite target, Amari Cooper, has been balling. 16 catches, 238 yards, and 4 touchdowns. But the surprise for the Dallas Cowboys has been rookie Michael Gallup, or second-year pro Michael Gallup, 13 catches, 226 yards, and uh, no scores, but he is out with an injury uh, knee scope. So they'll have to do without him for the next week or so, a couple of weeks until he comes back. This game, like I said, is on paper, you would think because the Cowboys are healthy with Ezekiel Elliott and everything that they should pull away with this one and, and probably just grind it on a New Orleans Saints team that uh, can struggle on defense at times if they're smacked in the mouth. But don't underestimate everything else being in place. If the only thing that changes is, Teddy, is Drew Brees and Teddy Bridgewater, that might still be enough to get a win on Dallas with Dallas being on the road. And the last game is a as it's the Bengals 0-3 and the 0-3 Pittsburgh Steelers. This game in the preseason might have had some kind of intrigue to it as the Bengals are uh, trying to find the revitalization of the franchise under new head coach Zach Taylor. Um, And the Pittsburgh Steelers are trying to live life post Le'Veon Bell and AB for real, for real, after wondering all last season about uh, Le'Veon Bell and dealing with AB's drama. Well, Ben Ben Roethlisberger is out for the season for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Bengals are still the Bengals. So we're going to still we're going to get to see Mason Rudolph taking on Andy Dalton in a game that actually could surprise people. Mason Rudolph for as much as he struggled last week, uh he's still he's still capable. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I was trying to find the words where he's still a capable passer. He's still got weapons in his offense. This is still the same offense that has put up points in the past at uh, almost record paces. They just have to find their groove and the Steelers as an organization have started slow numerous years. So maybe we'll see a surprise. They have a whole year to prepare with Rudolph as the quarterback and operate as though he will be their quarterback moving forward. So there won't be any reason to hold anything back with him, but I'm sure that this is not how fans or the organization especially saw this season going, even with the losses of AB and left Bell. on the Bengals side. Wow, man. Um, AJ Green going down hurt them, but John Ross has had 292 yards and three touchdowns on 13 catches through three games. Um, Joe Mixon has been struggling as the offensive line's blocking has been bad. But Andrew Dalton – Andrew. Andy Dalton has been uh, tearing it up, 979 yards, five touchdowns, but three picks as he is pretty much who he is. He's another one of those guys like Kirk Cousins. He can have success, but I think a lot of the times he gets uh, hurt by – being, being having too much put on his shoulders, too much responsibility. And when you do that to certain guys, it becomes clear that they need to have a running game, good defense, and every uh, possible uh, factor working for them, working with them. Otherwise, things can deteriorate quickly. Um, when we come back, guys, I want to talk about one of the rule changes that happened and how it's affecting the games and how it's not affecting the games and if it's really working. Back in a minute. Triple zeroes. <laughs> Welcome back. Triple zeros. And I said before the quick cutout, I want to talk about one of the rules changes that have taken effect in the NFL this year and how it's affecting the games and not affecting the games. And of course the obvious rule change that I'm talking about is the past interference review call. We've seen numerous calls uh, reviewed. We've seen calls overturned, but it seems to be that there's some uh, inconsistency in when these plays are being initiated. And one the one that that really caught my eye was the end of that Thursday night game against the pack between the Packers and the Eagles, and on that final play in the in the at the goal line, the defender is on the Packers receiver well before the ball gets there, and I get bang bang plays happen, and you're not gonna always be able to catch every single one, but that seemed like one that was egregious, and I I, I just wonder if that if that call if that rule change is being implemented or is being uh affected properly i wonder if they are if they are doing things the right way in terms of the people in the booth who are relaying the message down to the coders on which one that she challenged which ones are not are doing the right thing or if the inconsistency is what's causing this from the from the from the, the referees so that's just one thing to monitor going forward and other than that though i think it's a it's a good in theory You don't want to see teams getting messed over like the Saints did uh, last year in the playoffs against the Rams. But at the same time, when a play like that, like what happened at the end of that game with the Eagles and the Packers, I wonder how they didn't have any kind of review review of that play in the final two minutes of the game. Other than that, though, that's just one to keep uh, monitoring. I'll be checking back in on this one going forward in the season. We're going to switch topics real quick, man. The NBA had a couple of top 50 lists come out this past week, and they have a lot of people – Talking and not talking, uh, good. Now there are two separate lists. One is from ESPN, and one is from the Bleacher Report. The first one we're going to talk about is the Bleacher Reports, and that was the all-time top fifty. And what got everybody is Kobe Bryant being ranked at number fourteen. Some of the names that Kobe Bryant is behind that might surprise you. I'm not sure. I, I, I first of all, let me say it like this. Kobe Bryant, to me, is one of the most interesting players uh, in basketball lore because when you talk to people, Kobe can come in in terms of their rankings. Kobe can come in anywhere from number one to, like I said, number 14 uh, all time. And that's just that's fascinating to me because I think generally Kobe is looked at as one of the greats in the game. But when you start breaking it down and parsing out things and people start taking away um, – teammates and factors and the air and all that stuff Kobe gets left out and then what made it all the worse is that Steph Curry came in ranked number 10 now Curry has changed the game immensely in his in his short time his short career it's not I'm not saying it's been he's not rookie by any chance he's a veteran he's established veteran but he doesn't he's not the 20 years Kobe played right so in his career, for him to already have leapfrogged Kobe, is one of those things that makes you kind of question what went into this process. A lot of people, he's not always great relationship with the media as being a factor, and it's kind of hard to deny. Like I said, man, um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna write it off like that completely, but I do I do that's that's a questionable one. Kobe being at 14 and Steph Curry 10. No, I know Curry's changed again. Like I said, but five rings. Five rings and I can hear everybody now. Five rings isn't everything. It's not everything. That's true. Five rings is not everything, but it's a lot. It's a lot of it. And <laughs> if it's not everything, it's the closest thing to it. And I, I just it's hard to hear uh it's hard to hard to, to figure that. And it's hard to, to, to reconcile that fact. With knowing what you saw when Kobe was playing, and how he took on everybody, and <clears throat> one of the big knocks on Kobe is how he took Mike's game and patterned his game after it. That's fine, and he—I agree with that. I just feel like that's used as a way to knock Kobe, as a way to instead of a way to say that's incredible, because anybody could have copied Mike's game, but Kobe did it. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Kobe was the only one who was able to accomplish it and even add some things to it uh, to fit the style of play that was happening during his era in the NBA. So I, I, that's funny to me. I love Steph Curry as a player, love what he brings to the game, love the, what he's done for the game, but to have him at 10 while you have Kobe Bryant at number 14 just seems borderline blasphemous and I don't know what you were thinking or why you would do that um to yourself. You got Kobe right before Kevin Durant and it's almost like that's a double slap, you know? um kevin durant is a great player but to have him at 10 or at 15 right below kobe i'm not sure if that's over if that means you're boosting kevin durant too high or if you're disrespecting kobe at this point um i can see the knock being that kobe had shaquille o'neal the most dominant center ever to play the game and the knock on kevin durant is uh he went to golden state to get his, his championships But that's about where their similarities uh, end for me. So to see them that close, I think it's kind of surprising. Again, Kevin Durant's another guy who, for all the greatness of his career, I don't think he's played long enough yet to have gotten that high or to be that close with Kobe Bryant. Now, that's not to say that Kevin Durant is too high. I just really feel like Kobe Bryant at number 14 is too low. The other top 50 list was the current NBA players this season, NBA this season. That was the bleacher report list. And the one that the pre- the reason why this one has everybody up in arms is because they have Clay Thompson ranked below um <coughs> excuse me. You have clay Thompson ranked below some. You have Clay Thompson ranked below rookie Zion Williamson. I'm trying to be nice because Zion is gonna be the future, and I think Zion's got a bright future. And I, I'm not gonna say that they necessarily have uh Zion again similar with Kevin Durant they have him too too high this is a, a case where I think they have the other guy too low Clay Thompson is not the 49th best player in the league you got CJ and CJ and Dame uh above him while I might agree with with Dame I'm not sure I'm putting CJ above Clay Thompson Clay can go get you 60 and Clay can lock down the opposing team's best player on the perimeter so while I love what C.J. can do, C.J. can fill up the, the stat sheet too, but he's not giving you near the presence on defense that Clay is and allowing a player like Steph Curry to f- play how he does because he's got those kind of defenders behind him on the perimeter and uh, and uh, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. The other thing that about that list, the, the this year list, though, is that it's just that. It's a this year list. So I think a lot of the, the, the hubbub and people being up in arms was based on the fact that, oh, you know they they really didn't factor in the fact that Clay is a 49 player. They're not they're not calling him the 49 best player. They're tell, they're factoring in how he will be hurt most of this season. So when you factor that in, it, it makes a little bit more sense. But it's just it's just questionable to have him that low and have a rookie who hasn't played at all rank in the top fifty. I think that that's more of a marketing thing than having actual facts to put behind it not saying that he can't be but <clears throat> before he's played a single uh minute on the court how can you say that he's better than anybody he's played in pre and and summer league but that's summer league until he gets on the court let's hold off on putting him on these top 50 lists in, in the in entire league of all world athletes let's let's not do that and then at the top of this list there's also some questionable decisions they have Giannis Antetokounmpo as number one and Kyle Leonard as number two, and then you have LeBron James as number three. For all the accolades that Giannis rightfully got last season, winning the MVP, there is no way that I'm going to give him the best player in the league right now. I might give him the most promising player in the league for his future and where he can still go with his abilities and skill set, but to say that he's the most the best player in the league, we saw him get taken out of the game in the Western the Eastern Conference Finals last year. We saw teams pack the paint against him and him struggle to find a counter and find any rhythm offensively. So let's hold the pump the brakes on, on talking about how he's the best player when we can see how easily he's neutralized when teams just load the box up. They take away one of his strength and he's done now. You could say, oh, well, it's a team game, and he's not the only team. But that team is one of the most star-central-built teams across the entire league. And his his second-best player is Chris Middleton on that team, and that's another guy who is really well-versed off-ball because the, the thing is you want Giannis to have it at all times. He's got to become a more consistent shooter. Uh, shooter, period, especially from behind the arc. And from the free throw line, but he's also got to find a counter move when he's down low. A lot of things are just in his way, packing, like I said, packing the paint. He can do nothing else after he made his first initial move towards the basket. So that's scary to think that he's not scary. It's incorrect to think to, that he's number one right now, but it also would be incorrect to think that he wouldn't, that he doesn't have the top potential. So maybe that's where they're going with it, but I just don't think, uh, I just don't think that he's there quite yet. And I also feel like it's just disrespectful, right? Like you may not want to put him at one. And I, I would make a case. I would, I would argue that there's a better case for Kawhi Leonard to be the top player in the NBA after what we saw him do uh, during the Raptors final run. than there is for Giannis. And I would probably put it at Kawhi LeBron at one and one a until we see them head to head this year, which I cannot wait for. And then, Giannis fitting somewhere. Uh, Giannis is probably the third best player. He's got the talent for it, but he has not completed his skill set yet to be able to say that he is the best player in the NBA. Uh, riding out of the top five is James Harden of the Houston Rockets and Anthony Davis. I, I feel okay with both of those. Um, Harden has done a lot of talking about how he feels like he could have, he should have won the MVP this past season, but we saw the voters appreciate. Giannis' efforts on both ends of the floor. But Harden, Harden's scoring ability was otherworldly. And uh hopefully that leads to him being motivated this season to prove that he's more than just a one-trick pony. And more importantly, it leads to him having a better postseason than he's had in years past. That that that's pretty much all that I had for those two lists. Man, it wasn't it wasn't egregious mistakes, but there are definitely some head scratches. Again, these are certain individuals point of views and the most blaring one to me was having Kobe Bryant at 14 in the all time grace list. Like I said, Kobe's it's, a, it's a, a very interesting case study to be done about the range of outcomes for one Kobe being Bryant on where you could think that uh, he could rate between, uh, like I said, either the goat for some people and some people have him as borderline top 20. It's really, really odd to see, but uh, in the end uh, it's just gonna be what it's gonna be. That's gonna do it for this episode of Juice and Jumpers, man. I hope to see you guys next week when we have after the NFL games. We'll probably do it Monday night, Tuesday, and then we'll uh, talk about recap week five in the NFL. Talk about the NBA season, which is drawing ever closer, and probably have probably we're gonna have a couple more guests to talk about. So until then, next time, see you later, Juice and Jumpers. It's your boy. I'm going